YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob. Hello, I'm your humble host with above average intelligence, looks, and style, Mr. Palumbo. And welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast. Happy Monday, folks. I hope all you dads out there had a great Father's Day. Happy belated Father's Day to you. I hope you were able to relax and let mom and the kids show you some appreciation. For all you dads out there doing the best you can, regardless of the situation or circumstance, we tip our hats to you and say, never give up. Keep fighting for your kids. Make sure they know you love them. Okay, so today is kind of weird. Uh, There was a couple ideas rolling around in the old noggin, and I hope they come together in some kind of coherent message today. But today's episode is called The Race to the Bottom. The term race to the bottom has some roots in economics. Uh, When companies race to the bottom, what they're trying to do is find ways to slash everything in order to increase profits and increase marketability. Uh, According to James Chen over at Investopia, he explains race to the bottom in this way. The race to the bottom refers to a competitive situation where a company, state, or nation attempts to undercut the competition's prices by sacrificing quality standards or worker safety or defying regulations or reducing labor costs. So in other words, racing to the bottom economically means you do everything possible to cut costs, even if it's unethical or unwise, and if it affects the quality of the product or service you're providing. Now stick with me, folks. Stick with me. This, is, this isn't just an economics podcast, but I'm trying to set the table here. Critics of globalization point to the race to the bottom as one reason complete integration into one world economy is a bad thing. What's globalization? Great question. Globalization is the continual coming together of all the nation's economy into one big interconnected economy. So you can kind of think of this as uh, the European Union, okay? I don't know off the top of my head how many European nations make up the European Union, but it keeps growing and they kind of have turned into this conglomerate with no borders uh, and, and they're acting as if they're more... States, not big S states. (laughs) That sounded kind of inappropriate. Small S states. Okay. So, you know, the United States of America, the states, why are we called that? Because we're supposed to be these little sovereign states, right? Ha ha ha. Joke's on us. Well, a state in, uh, in statecraft or in international politics or whatever you want to call it, a state is a country. So globalization is all these states coming together and just creating one big economy instead of all these separate economies. So when we're thinking of race to the bottom, think of it like this. You're a developing country. You're, you're a poor country, but you're trying to get into the big leagues. Well, one way you can make yourself more marketable and have other countries invest in you is to purposely ignore health and safety regulations. Now, this would benefit your citizens, but they make business in your country more expensive. So you look for ways to make your business in your country more attractive by ignoring these things, ignoring things like minimum wage or other regulations, or just don't have them at all, right? If you ignore all those things and you get rid of all of them, lo and behold, you become very cheap to do business in. I don't have to worry about all these rules and regulations. China, to some degree, does this. They keep their currency uh, value very low on purpose 
so that when you go buy things from them, it's cheap. It's cheap to do business there. Actually, debasement of currency is done by a lot of countries. Here in the United States, the government has been trying to debase the dollar for years. And it's been under Democrat and Republican regimes. Well, why would they do this, Mr. Plumbo? Devaluing the dollar hurts us. Yeah, well, it hurts us, but it helps us when we're trying to pay back loans. If the dollar is worth a dollar when I when I took out a loan, and then it's only worth 50 cents when I'm paying back the loan, I'm getting the loan on a discount. So anyways, you know, we've talked about a lot of things already within four minutes of this podcast, and I'm going to try to wrap it all up into a nice little present for you. And like I said, hopefully it makes sense. You guys, uh, my brain is a very strange thing. So anyway, the idea of cutting rules and regulations, this is what I want to talk about. Cutting rules and regulations in order to increase profits and make yourself competitive. This struck me when I was reading an article a few days ago about Clark County School District's plan to change grading standards. Now, the Clark County School District is the school district that has, uh, it covers all of Las Vegas and the surrounding communities. It's one of the largest uh, public school districts in the country. Uh, but anyway, Clark County School District is considering changing its grading standards for students. This phenomenon is not new. Obviously, we've been seeing a constant push in schools, in our politics, in our business. I mean, you can name any field, and the bar or the expectations have been constantly lowered and lowered. As soon as any challenge arises, we seem to find the path of least resistance. We don't, we don't deal with the problem. We, we make excuses. But if the race to the bottom is driven by uh, this desire for increase in profits, what's the goal or intention of in continually lowering standards for students? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Well, I kind of do understand. But it, at least with the race to the bottom, here's what I'm trying to say. At least with the race to the bottom... These countries and these communities are like, look, let's get rid of all these things. I know they're helpful to our workers, but we need business. So let's bring in the business, right? So they're driven by uh, the profit motive or things like that. But why would you continue to cut standards for students? What benefit is that? Now, most people would say, well, the benefit is my district doesn't look so terrible, right? And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. As, as society continues to break down in every way, uh, also testing and scoring and intelligence and, and education is going down as well. Well, instead of trying to address the things that are causing education to go down, it seems like we're at a race to the bottom to lower expectations so that we can inflate our numbers, inflate our, our uh, test scores, right, so we can look better. So here's the proposed uh, standard changes, okay? This is from the article, but I wrote them out here. It says, here's, there's three main points. Number one, there are no zeros on assignments or tests. The minimum grade is 50%. There is no deadline. Students can turn in late assignments anytime they want. And number three, they are allowed to retake tests and quizzes and assignments for as many times as they want until they receive a passing score. So what do you guys think? What do you think of these grading standards? Do they, do they improve student learning and success? 
Well, I saw this post on Facebook, and that's where I read the article. And I remember uh, posting in the comments, and I, I might have even posted as Professor Liberty, which I try not to do, but, you know, whatever. And I remember saying something snarky this way, something like, well, that's great because that's not how life works. And it's not how life works, folks. I know as you were listening to those proposed changes in grading, I know most of you driving your car or or however you're listening to this podcast were shaking your head because life does not work this way. If you have a job and you don't turn in your project on time, you get fired. If, if, if If you don't do the assignment or if you don't do your project, Your boss isn't going to give you 50% of your paycheck. So if this is not how life works, how are we – we're setting up our kids to fail, and they are failing. I remember about five or six years ago, there was a viral video. We were all kind of watching it at work of this young woman. So this young woman, she just got out of college, and uh, she got her first job. It was the first day of her first job, and the video is her in her car – And she just got fired. She got fired on her first day on the job. And she's kind of sobbing in the video, sort of. She's she's not really crying, but she's kind of sobbing. And you, she goes through this lists of things she did. I actually thought it was a parody, but I guess it was real. She's she said things like, "Well, you know, I came in at ten thirty, you know, and I I had to get my I had to get my you know my macchiato from from Starbucks." And I don't and I don't understand why I got fired. Well, maybe it's because her standards, her so she when was she supposed to be there? 8:30, she got there at 10. And she didn't think there was anything wrong with showing up late. This is what we're doing with our kids. This is what we're doing every time we lower expectations, every time we're helicopter parents and we won't let Johnny, you know, hurt his little knee or we won't let Sally get her feelings hurt. We are shielding these children and we are we are showing them a version of life that does not exist. Once Sally and Johnny leave your house, my house, our house, we want to set them up for success not failure. You know, as an educator, I've kind of come up with this adage of mine. It says, uh, it's something like, sometimes the lesson is the grade, but sometimes the grade is the lesson. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is sometimes you get the F because you missed a deadline, period. That's the lesson. You need to turn your work in on time. Well, it wasn't my fault. Too bad. F. Well, you had a deadline and you didn't meet it. F. If you turn in an assignment and it meets, say, 70% of the requirements, you're going to get a 70%. If you don't turn in an assignment, it's a zero, not a 50. You don't get to put your name on an assignment and get a 50. But because we're lowering the standards, this is what young people think. Well, hey, at least I showed up to work at 1030, two hours after I was supposed to be there. That's her expectation. That was the expectation that she was taught. She was taught that just show up and you will be fine. But that's not how life works, folks. And most of us know that. Life runs on merit. We've discussed this before. I think it was in the Respect is Earned, Not Legislated episode of the podcast. I think I said something like, the world turns on merit. 
That's one of the most ironic things I find when I see these pro athletes come out in favor of whatever social justice topic that's popular this week. And I really love how, you know, the, the push for Colin Kaepernick to have a job. Colin Kaepernick should have a job. It's racist. If Colin Kaepernick was good at what he did, he would have a job, period, dot. It has nothing to do with what he looks like, period, dot. The world runs on merit. Look at Michael Vick. The guy got in trouble for fighting dogs, right? Fighting dogs. He was into, you know, dog fighting. He went to jail for a year, I think. He was convicted, went to jail for the year. He got out of jail, went back to playing pro football. So obviously he had, it has nothing to do with your background or your politics or what you look like. It has everything to do with what you can provide to the team. So no, these guys are pro because they can function at a high level. They can perform. They can produce. They have achieved at the highest level. Now, what's funny is in sports, like say the, uh, the basketball, the average shooting percentage is about 55%, right? If you're at 60%, you're really good. In baseball, the average batting av- the, the batting average is about 0.248. So let's just say 25%. Just about one hit for every tries at bat. That's the average for a pro in the Major League Baseball. Well, uh, uh, see, Mr. Plumbo, uh, see, Mr. Plumbo, they don't get 100% and they're successful, Mr. Plumbo. This, you're actually arguing against your own point, Mr. Plumbo. Well, this is a trap, right? The, the baseball and basketball, they haven't lowered their standards. They have amazingly high standards. So it's difficult, even in the pros, that 25% and 50% performances, respectively, that's what the best athletes can achieve. If pro sports maintain high expectations, why are we lowering expectations everywhere else? What do sports provide other than entertainment? But yet, it seems like we keep those standards high and we're lowering the bar everywhere else. Like I said earlier, we're racing to the bottom and it has nothing but negative effects or shall we say negative outcomes. Former teacher and administrator Paul Wilson Jr. writes it this way. He has a rough home life. He always will struggle. He can't do the work, so I will only make him do a portion of it. He will never be able to do it, so why should I even bother? The three statements above did not come from me reading a journal article or from me observing a teacher. Each one was made about me when I was growing up in a public school in Miami, Florida. All three affected my psyche in various ways, all negative. However, these comments weren't just about me. The statements above are a microcosm of a much larger issue in public education today. Despite considerable attention paid to this problem, there are still seems to be a culture of low expectation that is applied to certain students depending on risk factors like race, social economic status, and academic history. Generally speaking, these expectations are not applied with malice intent behind them. In fact, many teachers feel they are trying to help certain students, protecting them from embarrassment or alienation by not holding them to the same standards as everyone else. However, holding a student to low expectations contributes to the perpetuation of a fixed mindset, 
which will be detrimental to students as they matriculate through the grade levels. As a former administrator and teacher in a large urban school, I have seen this scenario play out time and time again, unquote. So here we see a personal perspective of how setting low expectations can negatively impact a student. And I like where he says, uh, when he called it a fixed mindset. You know, a fixed mindset, what does that mean? It's something static, fixed. It cannot improve. It's stuck. Also notice that he says something about good intentions behind all these lowered expectations. In most cases, these low standards are meant to help a further failing group of young people. According to HistoryNet.com, the United States still remains number one in the world regarding higher education, so that's things like college and universities, but only 20 years ago or so, we were number one in all education, so that was even lower education, elementary and secondary education. But as of 2009, we've ranked in the teens, anywhere from 14 to 19th among industrialized nations. What's causing this decline? Well, it's probably complex, but perhaps that's for another podcast. But I want to go back to this thing I mentioned earlier. We seem as a society hell-bent on not addressing the problems. We're just masking the symptoms. So instead of addressing the problems of what is causing the lower uh, abilities, the lower test scores, the lower outcomes of school, we're just lowering the standards to meet the lowering uh, you know, we're just matching curve for curve. And I already said this earlier, I would argue that this move to lower standards is just an attempt to make their numbers look better. Like I said, masking the symptoms. We live in this weird time where we explain away everything. We lower expectations for everything. We make excuses for everything. Things a generation or two ago, we wouldn't even have given much thought. Back in the old days, if Johnny was struggling in math, he needs to work harder. Now, it's Johnny has a learning disorder. If Sally can't do math, she needs to get a tutor. But now it's Sally's black, so it's racist to demand higher expectations on her. Now, look, I'm not discrediting learning disorders. I'm in the classroom. I see them firsthand. And I understand people have challenges to overcome. But why do we place them in this defeating category by making it easier to fail? Or let's put it this way. We make it easier to have a reason not to do your best. People throughout history have overcome great obstacles, be it mental, physical, economic, racism, sexism. And if they can do it back then, we can do it again today. But like Mr. Wilson said in, his, uh, in that quote I said earlier, we lower the bar for kids and they become trapped in this fixed mindset. And I'm of the opinion, I think that's why we have so many kids that are bitter and they have chips on their shoulder. So many uh, black people in this country are angry and they've got chips on their shoulder and they just can't get over this bitterness and it's not fair and I'm oppressed and it's not fair. But, you know, some of, some of this makes me think, well, what have they been told their whole life? They've probably been told their whole life, you can't do it because you're black. You can't succeed because some white man is standing over you. If you hear those lessons, if you hear those words over and over and over again, you're going to be one ticked off person. You're going to be one person in a fixed mindset of every failure in my life is because of my race. 
So conversely, I want to get back to if setting low expectations has very negative impacts, conversely, studies show that setting high expectations improves student performance. In her piece, The Power of High Expectations, Jennifer Dolsky writes, research has demonstrated for years that high expectations have the power to improve performance. Experts call this phenomenon the Piglion effect. Named after sculptor and Greek myth who fall in love with a statue that he carved, the Piglion effect occurs when an authority figure's positive expectations lead to the improved performance of another person. Unquote. The author goes on to describe the study this way. Back in 1966, teachers were told that certain students were, quote, intellectual bloomers. And they were told which ones were bloomers and which ones weren't. The result, the high expectation placed on the intellectual bloomers influenced their performance. She goes on to say, quote, when you set high expectations for people, and then believe in them and support them to reach their expectations, you can, they can soar far beyond what you or they expect. And not only do people perform better when they feel trusted and supported, they also respect and trust their leaders more too, unquote. So if we said high expectations work, why can't we push others and ourselves towards greatness? You know, I'm just, I, I, I'm a knee jerk. I have a knee jerk reaction to making excuses. And as I was making this podcast, I was trying to figure out what in my life, you know, generates me towards that way. And I think deep, deep down at the, at the bare minimum of it is when we make excuses, when I make excuses, you start on a path of uh, defeat, You start on a path of, I can't do it. You start on a path of giving up. Because once you make one excuse, why can't you make another? And I know I have colleagues and I know I have people out there that probably see me as some archaic caveman. Uh, He doesn't, he doesn't understand. He's not, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't have any compassion. No, I have a lot of compassion. That's why I want to tell these students, don't give up. Yeah, but Mr. Palumbo, you know, I'm poor. Don't give up. Yeah, Mr. Palumbo, I'm black. Don't give up. That has nothing to do with it. If you tell yourself that is the reason that is, well, then that's the reason. Remember, your brain does not know the difference between thoughts So if you walk around every day, I'm stupid. You walk around every day, I'm lazy. You walk around every day, I'm not going to make anything of myself. That is the truth. I'm going to say that again. That is the truth. If you say these things, that is the reality. But you can have a new reality. You can have a different reality. You can. You just got to do it. And, you know, I, so I think for me, making excuses is just leads you on a path of defeatism, you know, and I just don't like that. I would rather you keep trying. And I have to say, as an educator, it is it is intoxicating. It is addicting when you see a student who is struggling. And, you know, even in your mind, even in my mind as the educator, I'm like, man, I don't think this kid's got it. And, of course, I don't tell the kid that, but I'm like, I, you know, but I keep telling them, don't give up, don't give up. And then when they do it, when they've, when they've, when they've achieved something, 
when they've brought themselves to a new level, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, that is amazing. That is amazing. You should see their reaction. You should see the confidence they have, how they feel about themselves, because they they just kept moving forward. And it's it's a great thing. It's a great thing. It probably is what keeps me keeps me in the classroom. You know, that one kid that, boy, everybody gave up on, but he just smashed expectations and he just kept doing it, you know. So anyway, there there's the podcast for the day, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, what is the what is the moral of the story? Let's not lower expectations. Parents, don't lower expectations on your kids. You know, kids, don't lower expectations on yourselves. Teachers, let's not lower expectations on our students. And most importantly, everybody, let's not lower expectations on ourselves. If you're struggling with something, do the best you can. Do the best you can. That's all you can do. And as far as, you know, our society, the world, everybody lowering, you know, the race to the bottom, I don't know what we do with that. But I think it starts with no longer making excuses, dealing with the problems, having those hard conversations with ourselves and and other people. That's how we fix this. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, the email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.